Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. I'm going to train you on how to lead somebody to the new birth. Now, I'm, I want to make some real distinctions. Uh, you'll hear that today. I don't think everything we do leads people to the new birth. I think the new birth is a very specific thing. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know someone who was profoundly changed by becoming a Christian? I mean, they were one way and then they got saved and they're another person. Raise your hand. <clears throat> Let me ask another question. How many of you know someone who considers themselves to be a Christian, but who exhibits attitudes or behaviors you would expect only from an unbeliever? Many, as many, look at that, hold them up. As many hands at least that went up on that one as went up on the first one. Now isn't that a puzzle? How do you have it so that there's people you and I know who, who were living one way and got saved and just got radically changed? I mean, boy, they are, there is before and after pictures on this person. And then you also know people and who may have gone to church for years, may even have leadership positions in a church, and yet their character, their morals, their, their honesty in business, the way they treat their family, the love they show, the selflessness toward others, the purity of their lives is seriously wrong and there's this tilt I mean there's something goes off and it says this is wrong what is going on <clears throat> and it literally makes you wonder to yourself I wonder if this Christian thing is really a miracle at all people like that confuse the system in fact it has for thousands of years you go back over church history and the things we struggle over is, is how could Christians have tortured people and how could Christians have you know I mean, you go back through this some of this thing and it's appalling to us you know, you look at Jesus and then you look at this and you think, ah, what went on here? I want to submit to you today that there are many people who are religious and could even be called culturally Christian who are not born again. I want to focus in today and I really want to get you get a hold of this. Today, this is a classroom. This isn't, this isn't an, an auditorium. It's a classroom. I want to teach you. I want to train you so that you understand some, some essential things and so that you can lead others to the new birth. I'm not trying to <clears throat> rally you as a group of evangelists, but I believe God divinely opens doors. You'll have family members, you'll have friends, you'll have a grandpa who's dying. And you, nobody knows where, where grandpa is. And what I've tried to do here is put down something so that if nothing else, if you would just read this, it will deal with the essential issues that are involved in the new birth. I believe the new birth is a specific miracle. I believe that the new birth must deal with certain issues. It is not a vague invitation to invite Jesus into your heart. Now, having said that, I believe some people have been have been prepared already by God, and when someone said, are you ready to invite Jesus into their heart, they meant all the right stuff by what they did by raising their hand, and they were indeed born again. But I think there's a lot of people who think, you know, are you lonely and want a friend? Sure. You want to go to heaven rather than hell? You bet. Good idea. I vote for that. 
Anybody here want to live forever? Say, I do. I do. Anybody here want to walk on golden streets? Say, I do. You know, I'm, I'm moving my way down a song right now. You know, and, and we vote for those things, and we think they're good, and that's, it's nothing wrong. It's not a foolish decision to say, sure, I want to walk on golden streets. I want to live forever. Cool. Let's do it. But I'm telling you, many of those people have not engaged these issues. And the American church has, for whatever reason, we have avoided some of the more painful points that Jesus is very clear about himself. And we deny people the opportunity to engage those truths. And the result is, I think they become Christianized, but not born again. Now, some of you have stepped out in ministry. Small group leaders, missions, uh, pastors across the country, I think, have had their hearts broken many times by stepping out with a lot of ideals, a lot of hope and what God's going to do, and then they get a bunch of people, and the people don't act like Christians. And they find them having all kinds of, of, of dual lives and of dishonesty and lack of integrity. And in time, their heart breaks, and they grow either cynical or condemned. They either feel, well, I'm just a lousy leader. That's what's wrong here. I just don't know what I'm doing. And they either beat themselves up, or they grow cynical and say, I don't think this Christian thing has anything to it to, to, to do with it. And... Pastors are leaving the ministry across the United States. I forget what the number is. Something like 1,500 a month. Yeah, it's a large number. And I think I've got the right number. 1,500 a month are leaving, leaving the ministry saying, I'm done with this. Get out of here, man. No more of this stuff. Now, I want you to understand, when you get a hold of what we're going to talk about right now, you're going to understand something. When people are truly born again, Frankly, they're fun to lead. Doesn't mean they don't have problems. Doesn't mean everything goes away. Doesn't mean they don't have to walk out of addictions. But their integrity, the basic thing inside is different. The eyes are different. The heart is different. They are born again. Now those people are fun to care for. You can sense the, the, the reality. You can sense the love of God in them. But people without that, are not fun to care for. I mean, can you imagine anything worse than trying to have church with a bunch of folks that aren't saved? But think they are. Think they're Christians. But the inner inside of them isn't any different. They are just as carnal as anybody else who's outside the church, but they think but now they have religion. They know the talk. They're Republicans, whatever. <laughs> you know? They're red state or blue or whatever. So they've got the culture in their head, but the heart isn't any different. So the same, same attitudes, the same selfishness and independence that is fundamentally part of the lost world is still in them. And now you're trying to have church with this group of people. That's what they do in hell. See, you pretend to have church with a whole bunch. It's absolute misery. It's absolute misery. So... This ought to be a word of encouragement to some of you that have stepped out in ministry and said, man, I don't know what's wrong here. Let's have a look at this because I'll bet this was part of it. Because even though you may not be the best leader in the world and have you all know everything, et cetera, et cetera, when you're dealing with bringing people to the new birth, when they are getting born again, now it's fun. And God begins to do things way beyond you because he's in them. Let's see what it 
Let's see what it means. First of all, I want to show you something. Jesus really expected the new birth to be a radical change. Turn with me to John chapter 3. Well, that, that, the very language itself, born again, it's Jesus coined the phrase. This is his phrase. And here we are in chapter 3, and it's in the nighttime, and one of the leaders of, the, of Israel, the religious leaders, it's a group called the Sanhedrin. It was 70. It goes back to, goes back to Moses, this group of, that there be a group of 70 uh, elders. So one of these elders is coming to him at night, obviously politically uh, uh, trying to stay below the radar. In verse 2, it says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's a man of integrity, and he's seeing miracles that nobody could do, so, but he's confused by Jesus, and he says, Who are you? And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, if you really want to see what I'm about and what's going on here, you're going to have to be personally born again. And that's how Nicodemus understood it, as a second birth. And he's, he's flabbergasted. In verse 4, he said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? What are you talking about, born again? Jesus answered, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now there's a couple of takes on this. I'll tell you which one I think is the most correct. Water and spirit. Well, some people say the water is the bag of waters that breaks when a child is born. And so you have a natural birth and a spiritual birth. That would be true. A person has to be physically and spiritually born to enter the kingdom of God. Yes. But I think what Jesus is referring to is the waters of, of water baptism. And I am not saying you're saved by water baptism. But the repentance, the laying yourself down and dying and rising again, that repentance that goes on if you think of Jesus' own experience at the Jordan River, he was baptized, he laid himself down, basically pledging himself into the death that the Father had planned for him, rising up again. And then what happened? The heavens opened and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. He says, unless you're born, unless there's the repentance and the infusion of the Holy Spirit, you, cannot, you are not part of the eternal kingdom. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, Human, that which is born of the Spirit, is spirit. So God must birth something in us. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, verse 8 is very important. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Wind is an invisible force. Trees are moved by the wind. They sway, the branches move and all of that. And they're, but you can't see the wind, but you see the effect of the wind. You understand? So is the person who is born again. They are swayed, influenced, moved by a power you can't see with your eye, but a very real force is acting upon that person. They are now under the influence of, a, of an invisible force that is moving them and empowering them and at work at them. And just like that tree moving, we can't see it with the eye, but it's a real force that's now working on that person. A born-again person is now moved by an invisible force. 
And so when you have someone who's just a normal person with, with religious opinions, but there is no evidence of that force, they aren't. They just aren't. One of the things that, we, we have a hard time, we think, well, isn't it enough to go to church? You know, you have somebody say, I'm gonna get my life together. I, I, need, to, I, I need to work on my, my, my gambling or my drinking or I'm gonna work on my marriage and, and I'm gonna go back and get a, little, get a little church in there, kinda straighten some stuff up. <laughs> well, those aren't bad motives. They aren't bad motives to wanna go get a little church and get some things straightened up. It's like a New Year's resolution, they're positive but they are not the new birth, and that's what I want you to see. Those kinds of positive inclinations are not the same thing as having a person become miraculously transformed. Now let's have a look at what that transformation is. Being born again is more than simply changing one's attitude toward God. A person may have positive feelings toward God, his son Jesus and the Bible and may even attend church regularly, but never have received the inner miracle called the new birth. This is because it only occurs when the Spirit of God comes inside us to join himself to our human spirit. Now tell me, what is the new birth? Because I just said it there. Can any of you hear what you said? No. <clears throat> it is what? But let's, let's read this thing here together. Let's try it. When the Spirit of God comes inside us to join himself to our human spirit. You see that? The Holy Spirit comes into and joins himself to the human spirit. You are now wed to God. He comes in and is with you always. He joins himself. So religious opinions are one thing. Being a very good person is, is fine. But the new birth is a miracle. It is a specific miracle, and I'm going to argue today that there are certain conditions that must be met or the new birth will not take place. And so if I present an inadequate gospel, if I hold back certain issues, the person cannot engage those things and they cannot be born again. They can be positively inclined toward God, but you've withheld something vital from them. And I say that very much to myself. This is what God has been saying to me. The revival, what I want to do, you hold it back when you don't tell people the truth. He says, I don't want you being angry. I don't want you being mean. I want you being kind and loving, but tell the whole truth. And so that's what we're looking at. All right, so it's a miracle, and we know what it is. The Spirit of God comes inside a person. This union cannot take place until we first repent of our rebellion against God and place our full faith in his payment, in the payment his son made for our sins on the cross. What two elements do you see there? Repentance and faith, full faith, exactly. Now, once we understand the truths of the gospel and respond wholeheartedly to them, the barrier of sin which separated us from God is removed we immediately become holy temples where God himself chooses to dwell. Let me amplify. The Holy Spirit will not live in an unclean temple. He won't come into an unclean person. He will, be, he, will, he will become externally at work on people. That's how we come to him. But he will not live inside you. He won't do it because you're unclean. 
Now, we must be clean. And you say, well, man, I'm, I mean, if I have to become perfect or something here, we'll never make this. But God has done this wonder, and that is that if we will put our faith in Jesus Christ, repent of our rebellion, and believe, cling to him, cling to him, what he's done for us, he will reckon it to us as righteousness. Now, he's a father, and he knows the day-to-day -day stuff that goes on. But if you have faith in Christ, your sin is completely out of the picture. Do you understand? Four of us do. <laughs> now, this is really important. You've got to get a hold of this. Do you understand? How are you righteous now in the new covenant? By faith. Say it. By faith. By trusting the work of Christ. This faith is not positive mental attitude. I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean. This faith is I cling to Jesus. He has done it for me. You got it? Now, when you do that, you are spiritually absolutely holy. You say, well, I had a bad week. Doesn't matter. Spiritually, you are absolutely holy. Isn't that amazing? You see, your faith is the right, is the, in Christ gives you the righteousness. Now, as a holy temple, the Spirit of God is pleased to come in and dwell in you. But if you're not a holy temple and you're only holy on certain by, by, by this condition of repentance and faith, if you're not holy, he won't come in. So these conditions must be met for the new birth, the indwelling of the Spirit of God in a human being. The, the, the conditions must be met. You with me so far? It's important to remember that familiarity with Christian doctrine, even loyalty to the Christian religion, are not enough to bring about this dramatic infusion of the Spirit of God. He comes in only after a person responds to certain truths which have been revealed by the Holy Spirit. Much confusion has arisen over the centuries because people who call themselves Christians, of Christ, people who call themselves Christians but show no fruit of a changed life. Their attitude and behavior make it seem that the new birth Jesus promised is not a true miracle from God. Their example can even discourage others from turning to Christ. Let's look more closely at what must take place for a person to be born again. Now, first of all, I'm going to talk to you about the work that the Holy Spirit does before a human can respond. He must prepare a heart. He must reveal certain truth or you and I can't respond. We don't get it. It's a miracle for us to see these things so we can respond. Remember when Jesus says, no man comes to the Father except the Father draw him. Well, the, the Holy Spirit on behalf of the Father is drawing and preparing the heart. I want to take you to John 16 and I'll show you, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do three specific ministries in drawing unbelievers to Christ. Verse seven. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. That's the Holy Spirit. If I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning three things. What are they? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then Jesus amplifies to explain what he means by each one. Sin concerning the fact that they've been smoking marijuana and not going to church. Right? Because uh, they gamble? Cuss. 
What is it? Because they do not. Would you notice the difference? The Holy Spirit does not go after people's failed behavior. That is not what he's driving at. Why? Well, you can get all of that corrected. You can go to some kind of place and get your smoking habits and your gambling habits. You can get all that straightened up and you can still perish. The issue is that you don't believe in Jesus. That's the heart of the matter, that we have lived independently of the one who made us. And so the Holy Spirit comes after us and talks to us about Jesus and about our relationship to him. Years ago, in fact, many years ago, uh, turning part, uh, early part of the 1900s, um, a man by the name of R.A. Torrey uh, was walking along and some big fella came up to him and he was a good man, a well-respected man in town, and he said, Miss Dr. Torrey, what do you have against me? And this big guy, kind of intimidating, and Torrey was not about to be intimidated. And he's, he, he looked this guy in the eye and he said, Sir, I charge you with high treason against the king of heaven. What he did is went right like a sword right on this point. He said, you've lived independently of the God who made you. You've lived independently of the God who loved you. He, he made you for himself. He loved you and he sent his son to die for you and you've lived like it didn't matter. You wanted to be independent. Isn't that the heart of it? That's the heart of human sin. I want to do my thing. I don't want God messing with me. Thank you very much. I charge you with high treason against the God who made you. You don't have that right. You don't have that right. And the Holy Spirit goes right in and puts his finger on that, on that nerve. That's a real nerve in, in every human. Second point, he says. He says here, uh, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. Jesus says that God is going to show the world that he is the righteous son of God by resurrecting him from the dead and ascending him to the right hand of the Father. The world will see that Jesus is truly the Savior and our righteousness. So the second thing God is going to do, the first thing he's going to do is show you your sin. And the second thing he's going to do is show you the solution. He's going to show you that Jesus Christ is the righteous son of God, and that if you will believe in him, his righteousness will go over you. He's gonna convince you that you can be saved if you wanna be. So you aren't there yet, but he's gonna show you that you can be, that Christ has indeed died and risen for you. And then the third thing, verse 11, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. And you might say, well, so what, whatever. Now here's the point. He says that the ruler of this world, which is whom? Satan, has been judged and is going where? Hell, you can say the word. It's a bad one, but yeah, in this case, it's a positive thing. Hell, he's going to hell. And now here's the point. And all those who follow this ruler will join him in his destiny. Hell was not made for human beings. God never intended a human to go to hell. It was for Satan and the fallen angels. And only those who follow that ruler and refuse the lordship of Jesus Christ will end up sharing his destiny, but you don't even belong there. It was never made for you. It was never made for a human being. No human is ever supposed to go there. It is a holding tank for the fallen angels. 
And people will only go there by following the ruler and choosing the ruler of this world rather than the ruler of heaven and earth. And God says the Holy Spirit is going to put the fear of hell in people. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, if I were asked right now, how many of you came to Christ because you didn't want to go to hell? That's a good reason. I want you to understand that's a very good reason and a very smart choice. <laughs> there is one. I mean, I don't, don't, I mean, we don't have to understand all the dynamics, but you're, so, people who choose not to will be away from God forever. And spirits don't die. So whatever it means, it, it, it ain't good. It's awful. Now, let's just look quickly at what I said there. Uh, the three things he's going to show us then, I'm a sinner desperately in need of God's mercy. Most of us make excuses for the selfish and impure things we do. We assume that if God is just, he'll have to let us into his heaven. This is why the Holy Spirit must first do a miracle to reveal the depth of our own sin. And do, in doing this, he does not focus on the things we've done wrong. So you don't scold people telling them they're bad about this and you're bad about doing that and they're bad about that. Don't go there. Pray for them to see their need of Christ. Rather than the fact that we've lived independently without Jesus Christ, wanting neither his lordship nor his holiness to interfere with the way we lived. So the first prayer I should pray is what? God, show me myself. So if you're helping someone along, just say, would you pray? God, show me myself. How do you see me? Let him show him. Second thing. Only faith in Jesus Christ can give me that mercy. The Holy Spirit must do a second miracle. He must convince me that Jesus Christ is the resurrected and ascended Son of God. I must believe that his death on the cross has completely paid the penalty for all my sin. And I must believe that as I cling, notice not positive mental attitude, clinging, I'm hanging on to Jesus. God will give me the gift of eternal life. The second prayer I should pray is, God show me Jesus. Thirdly, Judgment awaits those who reject Jesus Christ and follow the ruler of this world. Though God is loving and wants to save me, he is also just and will allow me to share the devil's judgment if I insist on following him. This is why the devil will warn me of the terrible danger that awaits those who follow the wrong Lord. The third prayer I should pray is, God, show me the danger of rejecting your son. Now that may sound cruel, but people, if there is an eternal danger like that, wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't that make a difference in, wouldn't you like that information to make an intelligent choice? You know, I, I saw in the paper that the medical uh, world is considering using the drug ecstasy to give that to patients who are terminally ill and are highly anxious, worried about their impending death. Now, wouldn't that be an American answer? Now, I understand the compassion of it. The person's emotionally in agony, fearing the impending death. But what's going on? You know, a lot of people are stubborn right to the end, aren't they? I mean, I, you know, I don't know why. We're just wired different. But frankly, when you get toward the end, there come moments when you finally think, you know, maybe I better deal with eternity. I don't know how many times people have told me they've led a family member to the Lord, literally on their deathbed. They finally were ready to give up. Granted, it's stubborn beyond belief, but hallelujah, they received. You see, even the last minute works. I can think of a, an old guy. His name was Joe, and he was in Oak Harbor in the rest home, and 
we had teams going into the rest home ministering. The thing I remember about Joe is, I don't know, I don't know what he had, but he only had about three toes between two feet and they were stuck out. And you'd sit, they came in and go, oh, you know, and these feet and they were just like wood. And Joe was on his way out. That was evident. He was 90 something. Um, profane as all get out. And you try to witness to him and he just cuss you out. Just, man, I mean, just rah, and off he'd go. We had, uh, I can still remember coming in one day to uh, the, the rest home. And as I'm walking down the hall, I see a couple of our, of our church women coming out the door. One was a little Dutch lady. She's got this hat and she, she was, they were just, <laughs> and you could hear Joe just roaring in his room. I had a little conversation with Joe and, and I, I remember saying to him, I said, I don't, I don't get you. What have you got to lose? I mean, are you going to somehow win something by going to hell? I mean, is that, is there, are you proud of this? I mean, this is silly. Your, your situation is obvious. Good news is, I don't know, it wasn't just shortly before he died. I mean, Joe finally, one of those little ladies led him to Christ. Finally said, I'm ready. And he received the Lord, really sincerely. Isn't that beautiful? Joe will be there and have all his toes in heaven. <laughs> he will. And they were going to meet Joe. But think what might have happened if we kept Joe on ecstasy and kept him so drugged he couldn't see straight. There's a danger here. I mean, I want to be compassionate. I don't want people suffering any more than they have to. But what we really should be doing is sending in an army of chaplains to bring the gospel so that people have the assurance of what's waiting for them. I don't know if you've ever led somebody in that kind of condition to the Lord and then watch the peace come over them. I've had doctors say to me, I do not understand that woman. She looks like she's going on a cruise. She's so peaceful. Does she know she's dying? People just at peace, knowing they're where they're headed. You know, when you're born again, you're not afraid of dying. You're not looking forward to the process. But you're not afraid of what's on the other side. You know what's on the other side. So you're at peace. Right now, our, our society wants to just people, give people a drug and get them into some sort of inebriated state so that they aren't anxious as they slide toward eternity. How should I respond? God loves and wants every human being, no matter how sinful his, his or her life has been. When he died on the cross, Jesus paid for the sins of the entire human race, past, present, and future. And his resurrection proved not one sin remains unforgiven. Yet his death and resurrection will not save me until I choose to receive his salvation and submit to his lordship. I want to point out why I have that in there. I've talked to you about the fact that many people kind of deny the fact that they need mercy. They feel proud and self-righteous and it takes the Holy Spirit to show them their sin and their need of a savior. But do you, I want you to know there's another group on the other side of the spectrum. And those people are the people that feel they have done something so horrible God doesn't want them. Now, you may have friends or, or family that are like this. There are certain people you keep trying to tell them about the Lord, and they're stony. And you can look at them, and, and, and it's like something's going on behind their face, but they won't tell you what it is. 
And they just go silent and hard all the time. Or you may have this comment, you say, would you go to church with me? They say, no, no, if I went there, the, the roof would fall in. <laughs> you know, and they're being funny. When people act really strange and you think they're, what's going on in your head, something is. Now, what you need to know is that people have done various things in their lives and, and people have some pretty horrible secrets. And there are people who have, who have done things in the military, at war, and they can't forgive themselves for what they've done. They just can't believe what happened. And they have this horrible memory and the thought is God doesn't want somebody like me. There are people that have molested children. There are people that have raped people. And they think to themselves, yeah, I, I'd like to be saved, but my kind of people God doesn't want. And the devil's really enforced that. That's why I said what I did. And let, you, let, me, let me amplify it for you so you get a hold of this thing. Jesus Christ died for the entire mass of human sin. Everything every human who has ever lived or will live has done. All at once, he was our representative and the Father put on him the whole thing. Now what that means is that rape, that murder, that horrible whatever is covered, paid for already. Jesus already died for it all. He died for the sins of Adolf Hitler. He died for the sins of Mussolini. He died for the sins of Joseph Stalin. He died for the sins of Genghis Khan. Do you understand here? And what you need to get through to that person is it, it's, you're not sending Jesus back to the cross if you come in. He's not going to do something new. What's going to happen is if you refuse him, he's gonna, you're going to waste his blood. You're wasting what he did. But it's been, the price has been paid for you. You were part of that mess. And if you will simply say yes to him, his mercy has already paid for it, and he'll wash that away. So it's very important that you minister to people who feel that condemnation. You'd be surprised. The ones that won't come. There's certain people that won't come to the Lord. They're stubborn and they're strange. There's often something hidden. Some agenda is in the heart. There are other reasons, but this is one of them. Had Jesus not paid for every sin, since he was the, our representative, he would not have come back to life in the resurrection. He would have stayed in the tomb. Remember when he died on the cross? He, the, we translate it in English, it says, it is finished. Well, the Greek word there is tetelestai, and it means paid in full. And it literally was a word that was stamped on Greek bills. Tetelestai, paid in full. So Jesus hanging on the cross said, paid in full. He understood what he was doing. I have paid now for the sin of the world. In full. Now when he was resurrected, the early Sunday morning, when he came out of that grave, the father in effect said, amen, paid in full. I receive the payment. You got it? The payment was received. Had it not been, he would not have come back to life. He would have, no, no sin, I mean any sin at all, he would not have resurrected. He escaped death because the sin was completely atoned for. And we escaped death with him. May I add? Now, quickly then, 
for the things that we will minister, I must reject any thought that I've been good enough or to deserve heaven or have done something so bad God doesn't want me. Neither is true. They are both lies. I must simply ask for God's mercy. Number two, I must believe that Jesus' death on the cross completely forgives my sin, even those I haven't done yet. Now, I put that in because there are going to be people that you lead to the Lord who, who feel they have addictions, they have life patterns that are so set, they think to themselves, well, I'd like to be a Christian and I'd like to live a, live a new life, but I, I know I can't stop doing what I'm doing. I mean, it's gonna, I don't, it'll take a while. And so what happens is even when they give their life to the Lord, they, then, then they sin again. And the devil says, see, you're not really a Christian. If you're a Christian, you wouldn't sin anymore. That's, that's baloney. Let me explain something real clearly here. The grace of Jesus Christ on your life covers you even while you sin. This buys you time. For the Holy Spirit to work with you and train you and raise you as a, as a man or woman of God. Some cases we have decades of coming out of behaviors, right? The lovely thing is you are, you are righteous by faith in Christ. So even though I struggle, even though I fail, even though I keep going back into something, I promised a thousand times God I'd stop. And yet because of faith in Christ, I am righteous. That isn't fair, is it? But it's wonderful mercy. <laughs> and it makes this salvation possible. We'd all fail if it weren't true for this. He covers me and I am forgiven even while I'm struggling. Even when I fail. Buying me time for the Holy Spirit to change me and refine me. And I suppose by the time I step across, I still will have stuff that needs cleaning. Amen? That's grace. It's an amazing grace, isn't it? I'm not giving you something the Bible doesn't say. Even the sins you haven't done yet are under the blood. I'm not encouraging you to go on boldly. Sin always brings death and trouble. And the more you sin, the more you hassle your life. You want it out. But I'm telling you that while you're getting free, the grace continues to cover you. Number three, I must decide that I want eternal life more than all the riches and pleasures this world offers. This means I will openly confess Jesus before others and follow wherever he leads. This is a very important point, and I believe it's one that is missed in the American church a lot. We say, do you want help with your homework? Are you lonely tonight? Do you want to walk on golden streets? Then raise your hand. We tell you that God will give you five principles to success in life. He'll help you become rich. He'll help you become powerful. He'll help you achieve the goals that you have in your heart if you really believe in yourself. We have that kind of stuff that is not the new birth. Jesus comes to us and he says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure which a man found hidden in a field. And when he had found it, he went and sold all that he had that he might possess it. I want you to understand something. Becoming a Christian costs you everything. And anybody who tells you differently is lying. You may say, I don't want to give up everything. You and a lot of others. Remember the rich young ruler? This young man came, he was a very devout young man. He came up to Jesus and he said, Lord, what, what am I lacking? And Jesus said, I want you to go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. 
and then I want you to come and follow me. And he actually was inviting him to travel with him. He was going to be one of the disciples. He said, I want you to come. And what, how, what did the rich young ruler respond? What, what happened then? It said his face fell, for he had much wealth. And he turned and he walked away. And then it says that Jesus was saddened, for he loved him. Now, if you and I were in Jesus' place, wouldn't we have done something differently? I mean, the guy turns around, he says, oh, man, I've got a lot of money. And he starts walking away, and we say, wait, 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 wait. We'll work on it. Why don't you give a $1,000 love gift? Wouldn't we? We'd milk this guy. We'd give him a parking place. Put him on the board. We would. It's done all the time. It's disgusting. Now, why didn't Jesus... Stop him. Why did he let him walk away? There's a reason. It's all or nothing. And if he had denied this man, he denied him the new birth. He said, if any man comes after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. That's a decision you make. That's an internal thing. The young guy was engaged with this truth. And Jesus, if he took it away from him, he took away eternal life. So he let it sting. Now, my hope is that guy got his head straight somewhere along the line. There's a strange passage in the Gospel of Mark, 14th chapter, and it may be John Mark that it's referring to who who, um, was trying to warn Jesus, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the um, uh, soldiers are arresting the Lord, Mark refers to this man coming running up wrapped only in a sheet. You think, what's this flasher doing in this story? Get him out of here. And it's really awkward. What is he doing here? He comes running up in this sheet, you know, like, and Jesus is being taken off, arrested. It's like he's just five minutes too late. I hope it was the guy. I hope the fellow had thought about it and sold everything. I mean, he's <laughs> really everything. <laughs> A little too much. But... We'll straighten that out later. And he comes running up, you know, I did it. Oh, no. You know, but there he would be for Pentecost. And the, the apostles would have certainly taken care of him. Who knows who he was? Maybe we even know his name now. So you don't know. But the Lord did not take the sting out of it. And you can't either. This free gift cost you everything. And whenever you talk about total surrender to Jesus Christ, a fear comes into the human heart. The fear is that God will make me do the very thing I hate or dread, right? I'll tell you what always comes into the young people's heads when you say give everything to Jesus. What is it? God is going to make you be celibate. You can't get married. And I said that and they all... Yeah, and I said, yeah, the God who created you with sexuality is going to say now that you can't be married. I mean, we think of him as some sort of perverse God. Now, imagine this. If, if you're a father and your son comes in the house one day and says, Dad, today is a special day. I want to do anything you tell me to do today. Ever you say, Dad, I'm going to do it. I love you so much. And you go over to your wife and you say, Honey, what, is, what, is, what, is, what does Johnny hate? doing okay let's let's ask him to do that (laughs) that's sick isn't it 
Would you do that? Oh, you're so pleased with his attitude. You're thinking, you, you love this kid. You're not going to go there. And neither is your heavenly father. But the fear is always there. The fear comes. Now, for this service, I'll bet if you think to yourself, if I just really said yes to Jesus and I let go, you'd all think he's going to make you be a missionary in Borneo. <laughs> right? By the way, I, that was my fear. And I have since seen Borneo. I've seen pictures of it anyway. And one of you gave me a book on it. <laughs> it's a beautiful place with white sand beaches and, and, and turquoise water and the whole thing. I should have gone to Borneo. <laughs> this is what happens. The God who made you in your mother's womb, the God who designed you for a purpose and planned your days, when you give up, that God takes you and puts you on the path for which you were made. Now, when you're doing what you were made to do, that's the sweetest thing in the world. And it might be Borneo. And if it is, you're going to love it there. And you're going to be so effective because God made you for that place. And you're going to know it. And someday with tears running down your face, you're going to thank God that he took you to Borneo. I, the thing I dreaded, I wouldn't even admit I was going to be a pastor until I was a senior in seminary. I said, Everybody use a, anybody can use a Bible education. I hated the thought of being a pastor. It was just awful to me. Now I'm getting to be an old man. I'm glad I'm a pastor. There's a lot of things I could have done. I'm, I would far rather do this. Now I realize he was right. But boy, did I fight him. Boy, was I afraid of his will. It was so silly now that I look back on it. But I was so afraid of his will. It's the devil. And it does it to all of us. And so here's this rich young ruler. He's thinking, oh, I'll be in such terrible shape if I give up everything. And the Lord's thinking, no. No, I got something for you. I got riches for you that are beyond anything you've ever had. And that's what he's saying to us. You can't take that element out of the gospel. If we do, we deny people the miracle. All right, now then I'll just summarize. There are two prayers here. The first prayer is, is simply for those who say, I, I'd like to believe this, but I just don't have the faith. I just don't get it yet. And so you can say, would you like to pray a prayer asking God to show you if these things are true? If they are true, would you obey them? And there's many people who say, yes, if I knew in fact they were true, I would indeed obey them. And then you can say, well, here's a simple prayer to pray. And then the second prayer is for those who are ready to pray and receive that. And I'd like you to just read it with me. Let's begin, dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I know I'm a sinner. Until now, I did not want to submit to you or serve you. I wanted to be independent and live for myself. My rebellious heart deceived me, causing me to do many things that will bring upon me your eternal judgment. But your word says you sent your son so I might receive mercy. Today, I've changed my mind. I don't want to be a rebel anymore. Instead, I cling to the forgiveness Jesus offers me and place all my sin on him. I believe he took upon himself the punishment I deserved when he died on the cross. Now, as I place my faith in him, my debt is paid in full and I am released from your judgment. Today, I submit myself to you as my Lord. In light of all you have done for me, how can I live for myself any longer? I give you the rest of my life. I invite the Holy Spirit to dwell inside me, to convict me of sin and encourage me to obey you. 
I renounce all forms of sin in my life, choosing to give up everything that displeases you. From now on, my greatest desire is to be close to you and draw others to know you. Day by day, I will turn to the Holy Spirit for the help I need. Finally, based on the promises in your word, I declare that these statements are now true about me. I deserved judgment, but now I'm forgiven. I was rebellious, but now I gladly obey. I was alienated from you, but now I'm your adopted child. I was weak and unable to resist temptation, but now the Holy Spirit lives inside me to strengthen me. I was afraid of death, but now I know I'll live forever in heaven. With all my heart, I thank you for your great gift. Amen. People, you could take this, and if nothing else, if you have a family member or a situation, just ask this question. Say, could I talk to you about spiritual matters? Just ask for permission. And they say, well, yes. And you say, you say, I don't know what to say. You say, may I read you something? And could we talk about it as I go? And just start reading. This will engage the issues that they need to engage. There is nothing sweeter than seeing someone you love born again. There's nothing sweeter than knowing that grandpa or mom or dad are with Christ now in eternity. It is absolutely wonderful. I'm not trying to push you into some sort of evangelistic lifestyle, but I want you equipped. The Holy Spirit actually said to equip you so that you knew what to say and so that you could bring people accurately into the new birth, not simply religion, but you could bring them into the new birth. And I'd like to have us pray that this year ahead of us, that God would open divine doors. That he would miraculously prepare things and prepare ways that you uniquely can be someone who brings the light of Jesus Christ to someone. Would you like that? That if he did the work, if he prepared the way, would you be his voice? You now know what to say. Use your own words, please. You don't have to use mine. This isn't sacrosanct. I've just put the ideas there. In your own words, it's all the better. It's all the better in your words. But if nothing else, you can just read that. That's a fallback position. Would you stand with me? As I went through this, somebody may have said, seen something there that you have not engaged before. But it made sense to you even as I went through it. And you realized that you need to respond at a level you haven't responded to before. I don't know what that might have been. Um, my intention today was to train the church and yet the gospel was here and the Holy Spirit has said in this service someone is responding to the message and needs to have a chance to make to seal it with just a declaration right now. If that's you, if you say today I'm saying yes to the Lord on an area of the gospel that I, I didn't see before but I'm, I see it now. Maybe it's giving your whole life to him and letting go. Maybe it's recognizing your need for forgiveness and, and that you are, have lived independently. Maybe it's that your sin can indeed be forgiven and that you, you felt you were one of those lepers that somehow could never come in. I don't know what it was, but as it went by, you know. And so if that's you right now and you need to just sort of seal it by 
indicating, would you lift your hand before the Lord and say, that's me today, Lord. I'm making a choice. I'm receiving. Praise God. Praise God. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. I, Holy Spirit knew you were here. Yes, you and you and you and you and you. Yes and yes. Who else? Who else? Yes, here and here. Praise God. Isn't this lovely? Yes, I see you. Yes, God bless you. I think I saw you. Praise you, Holy Spirit. Yes. Yes, yes. Now you're saying, yes, I see another hand. You're responding right now, aren't you? Just saying, Lord, you respond at the place you need to. It'll be different for each one. Just right now, just tell him in your own words, Lord, for that truth, I'm saying yes to you today. Maybe you're saying, I'm yes, maybe you're saying yes to Borneo right now. You know, you're saying, all right, Lord, I am through fighting. I am through hanging on. I release my whole life to you and trust that you, as a loving, holy father, will only do what's right and best for me. And so I will let go and I will embrace my cross. I will follow you wherever you lead me. I am ashamed of you no longer. I will be a Christian from this day forward. Just if that was you, say amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you so much. We thank you for the power of the gospel, the power of the blood. It's real, Lord. As we respond to the Holy Spirit, we are born again, born from above. And we just declare over our households, over us, that the grace of God abides over us, even in our weakness, even when we sin, even when we have bad temper or poor language or whatever. When we struggle through the week, your grace remains upon us. We don't take that for granted. We don't want to continue in sin. But Lord, we, are, we survive on your mercy. Thank you for your great grace to us. Thank you, Lord, for coming by the Holy Spirit and considering us pure and spotless so that your Holy Spirit would indwell us and join us and marry us, as it were, in our spirit. How blessed that is. We welcome you. Live in our hearts. Live inside us. Never leave us. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. And Lord, we ask for divine appointments this year ahead. That where there's somebody who's lonely and lost and needy, Somebody's confused. Somebody is ready to slip into eternity and they're not ready. Oh God, give us compassion and give us wisdom that we might share these essential truths kindly but firmly and that they might be born again or at least have every opportunity to have that reality. Thank you, Lord, for this truth. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.